0: Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Psalm chapter 13. We'll begin our reading in verse 1. Psalm chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The psalmist David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in My soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully or completely with me. In The Problem of Pain, one of C.S. Lewis's more memorable works, he says pain is not good in itself. We know that. What is good is in any painful experience is for the sufferer, his submission to the will of God, and for the spectators, the compassion aroused and the acts of Of mercy to which it leads I thought about that this week when I thought about so many here that right here in our church that you've gone through things far worse than I have and I I I know that have no no preconceived ideas whatsoever about that I'm not confused about that I, I know that and some are still going through Difficulties, but I, I think about how God has used so many of these situations to bring us closer together. To, 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 to as we prayed for each other, and and boy, sometimes we'll see the post on the prayer chain that we're looking for, and we're all excited about it. Sometimes we don't, but but I, I just we have walked through so much together and we live in a fallen world and pain is part of all of that and I totally understand that but I I, I just know some of you I have you've been here since you've been at Cornerstone some of you've lost children some of you've lost spouses to uh, sickness and death and some of you've gone through other terrible difficult situations and I, I understand all of that but but man, the way God has used all of that to bring us together and, and speak through us and the way we try to share those pains and those disappointments as well as those joys, God is glorified in that. Paulie Patterson, the 30s, he's a pastor. He wrote, uh, pain is not a problem in and of itself but rather it is a symptom, a sign of something gone wrong. When one places their hand on a stove, the problem is not the pain, but the fact that they're doing something that shouldn't be done. The pain in this world is simply a sign that something is wrong. Something is seriously messed up. And without pain, we may not ever realize That something is so wrong. And we know that. We look at our world and we know, pick any day you want to. You won't have to go back and try to Google news stories. Just open it up and look at the news one day. Any day you pick, and I promise you, you'll realize that, man, there is something seriously wrong with this world. It is the craziest place that you could possibly ever imagine. And if you told me, yeah, I expected it to be exactly like this, I, I, I'm probably going to think you're lying. Because I can tell you, we all thought, well, one day it may get bad, one day it may get tough. People may have radical ideas. I don't think anybody anticipated that we are seeing some of the things that we are seeing now. And I hear that a decision by the Supreme Court may come down tomorrow. I can tell you this will be a week of hell in the United States of America. People are fighting, people are are rioting, people will burn things to the ground this week. We don't like to be told. Even if it's something as sacred as taking the life of a helpless infant, you don't tell us what to do. Self is the God of the 21st century and he's worshipped every single day. Sad. In David's world, when he writes this psalm, something terribly is wrong. We don't know for sure if it's his problems with Saul or his problems with Absalom, but both of these situations plagued him. One was if it is his issues that he had with Saul... Saul was the first king of Israel, but he really wasn't the one that God wanted to have on the throne. But God's people, they decided, like people nowadays and like we have as individuals before in our lives, possibly. They decided they wanted what they wanted, and they were not going to accept no for an answer. So they wound up with Saul, and that's what happens. That should be a great lesson for us. When we decide that we want what we want, you wind up with Saul. I think that's what we've got, but we we it, it it was a horrible time for him because he was having to question that as Saul was trying to kill him, and Saul seemed to be going on like life it was it was normal, and and David even had opportunities to kill Saul, but but he let him live. But he was waiting on God to do something about it, and it was like God, you're not doing anything about it, and and it was raising questions of justice and. And is, is God righteous? And, and is, is God who I thought God was? All of that was going on. But I think even worse later on, David would be challenged by Absalom. And Absalom was especially painful because he was David's son. He was saying horrible things about his father, and he was trying to overthrow the throne. Because you imagine going through that, and and it being your own son, and knowing that that this is not going to end well. There's just no way in the world that there is a possible outcome where this is going to end well. And of course, you remember Saul, uh, Absalom. Uh, he finally uh, his he came to his demise. He rode furiously one day through the woods and hung his hair in a great oak and one of David's own men came and shot him full of darts and killed him. Man, it's in that kind of situation and we're not sure which that David writes this. There's six verses here. If you look at the first two, it's a complaint to the Lord. And I I love his honesty here. He'll say, how long? And he'll ask it four times. How long, God, are you going to allow this to go on? There's a few times in Scripture, and they're always refreshing to me, when people are just absolutely diehard honest with God. I remember when Moses looked at God one time and said, God, have you forgotten the promise that you made? You've told me that we'll just let all these people die and start with a new group. That would be great for me. But but God, you made a promise and you can't hate these people any worse than I do. And of course, that's a great, big, long, stretching paraphrase. But he, had to, he was up to here. He had had it. These people were hard-headed. They grumbled. They complained. They whined all the time. They, was, they were never satisfied. And they drove Moses crazy. And he had a great opportunity just to watch them all die. He said after Moses pled with God and reminded him of his promise, it actually says the Lord repented or changed his mind as to what he was about to do. In the second two verses, we hear a prayer for help from David. And then in the last two verses, we hear an expression of his confidence in God. I I struggle with a title for the text today. There's so many of them that would fit. I finally landed on one, When the Darkness Comes. Because I thought about when it gets dark and i thought about physical darkness and how that relates well to some of the spiritual valleys that we walk through from time to time but just think about it on a on a really dark night you one you lose perspective if you're not careful things seem closer than they actually are and and or maybe further away but we we become very myopic and limited and and how far we can see. We can kind of really only see what's right here in front of us. And sometimes when we are walking in spiritual darkness, all we can see is this, what's going on right here. This problem, this issue, this sickness, this, this uh, uh, whatever's tearing our family apart or whatever's ruining our marriage or whatever it might be. All we can see is that. The first thing we think about when we wake up is is we were thinking about that and it's just playing our mind, and, and, and we just can't seem to see any further. In darkness, it is that way. Objects appear differently than they actually are. You, you, you might uh, try, look at something that looks one way, and, and, and it will look another. I, I remember growing up, uh, and waking up in the middle of the night and, and going to the bathroom or whatever, and uh, all of that was different when I grew up, okay? But you talking about dark. We didn't have lights all over the place. You didn't have anything shining in. It was dark. And, and I remember getting up out of bed confused and being on the wrong wall looking for a door, Boy, that'll just blow your mind. But things that just, they just don't look the same anymore. And, and things that maybe at one time you looked at like, boy, that's a source of hope. Or that's a place where I, I find contentment and solace. They just look different. Friends look different to you. And life itself looks different. Hope uh, looks different to you. Tomorrow, every one of them start to look like maybe another place. Of dread. And then there's some things that are going on that you can't see at all. Maybe God's doing an awesome work, but you can't see it. It's just dark. It's just so dark. You just can't see it. You know, I thought about years ago, I used to hunt a lot at night. I, I, I. Boy, when I was younger, I don't know, I think back on it now, I don't know how I did it, but I'd hunt till 4 o'clock in the morning, and then I'd light out for Gardner-Webb at about 7, and go to school all day long, and stayed awake, I I couldn't do it now, (laughs) no way in the world, but I remember a few times when I I was hunting at night, I was a coon hunter, and uh, boy, I remember a few times getting lost, didn't get lost a lot, but I, I got lost a few times, and 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 it was odd because sometimes I would get lost, it seemed like, in the places that I should know better than any other place. But I kind of figured out what was going on one time when I was pastoring West Point. I got lost right behind the house there. And I had to finally walk to a hillside, I don't know how far it was, there were clouds in the sky that night so I couldn't look at the stars and so I had nothing to navigate by, and I had to walk to a hill so I could see that red light over in Polk County and to finally figure out what direction I needed to go in. But I think we get lost sometimes maybe in places that are familiar because we assume we know where we are, we assume we know where we're going, and we're confident that that this is the way and and and, and we just boy, we just start busting through the woods and 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 uh The next thing you know, we realize that, no, it's different than I thought. This is not turning out like I wanted it to. I used to always, when it wasn't cloudy, I could look up at the Big Dipper, because if you find the Big Dipper and look at the two stars on the very end of the cup and just draw a line right off of them, they'll point you straight to Polaris, which is the North Star, and I could always navigate my way out of the woods You know, I'm part Apache, but I would navigate my way out of the woods that way, me and that lady politician, whoever she is. The North Star was always helpful to mariners and others alike because in our sky, it appears in the same position. Sometimes in the darkness, we need to get a hold of something that has not changed and will not change so we can find out where in the world we are. Where are we, God? So we come to his word this morning. This is our Polaris. This is our North Star. David's cried out to God here. The darkness has fallen, David says. God, I need to know something from you. I need a word from you, God. Two things we will look at today. One, what we must not do when the darkness falls. And then secondly, what we must do. But what we must not do, first of all, is make presumptions. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your Face From me, raw honesty, God, are you just going to forget me forever, and and how long are you going to hide your face from me? Uh, In the Old Testament, remembering and seeing are not states of consciousness, but rather they're preludes to action, because when God saw something, when his face turned toward it, his people believed that God will do something about it. And they believed if God has been inactive, if God seems distant, that he's hid his face from my situation. He doesn't see it. He's, he's turned his face away. We, we love the name for God, Jehovah Jireh, and that's an English or an Anglicanized version of, of Yahweh sees, Yahweh and, and And it means God sees. Now we say, oh, God provides. Well... It does mean that. But in the Hebrew, they 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 wouldn't probably use a word so much like provide. Literally, it means God sees. But the great part about that is the Hebrew people believe that if God sees it, it's fixed. He will do something about it. When God told Moses, I have heard the cries of my people in Egypt. That let Moses know that if you've heard the cries, then something's about to happen. I I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but if you've heard the cries, because for 430 years they felt like that God had turned his face away and that God had just absolutely forgotten them. Be careful about making presumptions when you're in the dark. It's so easy to feel like everything I've ever believed about God must be a lie. I read his word and nothing's happening. I claim these promises and all of that and I cry out to God and you just feel so far away. Man, I'm telling you, I, I, real life will break you from the, the fluff uh, uh, kind of theology that I hear people say, Oh, I don't ever doubt God. I live long enough you will. Oh, I would never hate God. I, I I would never I would never get mad at God. I I can tell you, you live long enough you will. Uh Pastor Steve, who's down at uh Forest Lake Baptist Church, worked for CIT for a long time. He and I met the other day. We just saw each other uh in Lowe's and um and, and we were talking about that song, Though He Slay Me, I Will Trust Him. We were looking at it. He had posted it online, and I thanked him for it. I said, man, that song meant so much to me. And uh, I knew the days were winding down for this big test that was coming for me. And I told him, I said, man, that song meant the world to me. He said, well, you know, I've had people that told me they didn't like it too much, to to think God might slay me, and I would Still trust him? That, that, that's, that they, he says some of them just really didn't like the song. And Steve looked at me and he says, I, I think you have to have suffered. He said, if you haven't suffered, he said, that song probably won't make sense to you. And I believe that he's right. Sometimes we just think God's lost his mind. Speaking of Jehovah-Jireh, it occurs in Genesis 22. And if you remember Genesis 22, you can just look at me like you do. Abraham's taking his son Isaac upon the mountain. God's supposed to be different than all those gods that he had served back home some 600 miles away in the land of Ur. They sacrificed their children. But you were supposed to be different than that, God. You, 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 you made a promise to me. And, and, and that my, my offspring would, would be more than the stars in the sky. And this is the only son I have. Even when you told me to bring him to Moriah, you kept telling me, I want you to bring your son. Yes, your only son. You won't have to tell me, Abraham, that, hey, he's the only one you have. I know he is. Bring your son, your only son. And sacrifice him. Man, when Abraham looked up and heard the voice of the angel and saw the ram in the bushes. He said, we got to rename this place. We're going to call it Yahweh provides. Yahweh provides. Be careful making assumptions. Now, if you think I'm preaching all these points today because I, I, I finally overcame them, man, I wouldn't blame you if you left right now. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to me more than anybody here. Secondly, don't depend on your own counsel. Don't listen to yourself. In other words, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? I'm talking to myself, God. I keep walking around. I am consoling or counseling myself. I'm giving myself direction. Usually when you get there, you're you're in a bad place. Having sorrow in my heart all day long. As a matter of fact, the word here for counsel is esot in the Hebrew. And the word actually can mean pain. Some translations uh, translate it as pain because the words are so similar. But probably the best translation is I am painfully counseling myself. It is killing me, God, to talk to myself. I'm, the, I'm giving myself advice, God, and, and, and it's painful what I'm telling myself. And, and the kind of things I'm saying to myself, they even disgust me, God. But I'm saying them because I'm not hearing from you. I, I, I can go ahead and tell you now, I'm the worst counselor that I have ever had. I'm the worst, and, and I, I'm going to guess you probably don't do well with yourself either. It's easy to start listening to your own thoughts and your own short sighted uh, uh, advice and, and, and begin to uh, draw conclusions yourself and, 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 and talk to yourself and say things that are just poisoned by emotion and toxic with fear. And all you can think about is it's, it's just going to be a disaster. And have you ever been so low that when somebody tried to encourage you, especially somebody close to you, got on your nerves, somebody walk up and say, listen, it's going to be all right. Usually it's your wife. And then when you run her off and make her mad, then you are in a pickle. Now I made her mad at me. She goes back in the kitchen. You're so frustrated. You're speaking from your pain and from your hurt. You're like, how could God allow life to lay such heavy hands on me like this? Job cried out in Job 13, 24, why do you hide your face from me? Why? And listen to this. This is what Job is saying to the, himself. God, why do you consider me your enemy? Do you really think God ever looked at Job as his enemy? No. But Job is a terrible counselor. He's even worse than Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And those were those three stooges that were his friends that came to him and told him stupid things like, hey, well, you know, you must have sinned or all these bad things weren't, wouldn't be happening to you. And when his wife went to console him, boy, she was a sweetheart. She said, why don't you just curse God and die? Okay, honey, thank you. Whew, I feel better now. Terrible time. You start counseling yourself. Whatever's temporary seems like eternal. He uses the word here forever. Forever. how long are you going to forget me? And then our imaginations, we start seeing things that we imagine as truth. He says, God, you have forgotten me. God had not forgotten David. God knew exactly where David was. He knew exactly what David was going through. But your imaginations become truth. You start imagining crazy things. And you start believing what you are feeling. And your feelings will lead you astray. And then we began to see God like we see ourselves. You have forsaken me. Because you began to think that, well, I would have forsaken me. I deserve what I'm going through. I don't know even why I've come to talk to you about it, God. I deserve for this ha- to happen to me. I'm no better than anybody else. Their child died, my child died. I, what, what can I say, God? I should just shut up and suck it up and go on. And you begin to look at God as you would look at yourself. But boy, I'm so grateful that he tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Proverbs 3, 5. Oh yeah, I know you know what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. We've all leaned on something before. It wasn't stable. Made you look silly and foolish, didn't it? The more you depended on it, the probably the bigger the disaster was when you finally fell on your face. Leaning on your own understanding will get you in trouble. I also think about one other verse before we move on. 1 John 3.20 says, Even if our hearts condemn us, we have to remember that God is greater than our heart. Yes, thank you, Lord. Have you ever had your own heart condemn you? Yeah, I have. I, I grew up with a dad that he taught me some good things. He almost taught taught them huh, to a dangerous degree, though. If you want something, you work for it. That's I know that's a wild concept, is it not? Do they talk about that anymore? I can see me now going to my dad, going, "Okay, I'm about to graduate. What kind of car am I getting?" My dad would take me to the hospital. He'd have a brain scan. You have a tumor or something, son. If you thought I was buying you a car. But I grew up learning to be kind of self-sufficient. I grew up thinking if I don't do it, it won't get done. It made me very dependent upon myself sometimes. I can tell you. It's a sad place to be. Because God will teach you. There's some things you can't do. I gotta do them for you. Thirdly, don't make presumptions. Don't depend on your own counsel, and don't feel sorry for yourself. Now, when I say this, let me tell you right now. With I say it with a caveat. I say it with a lot of empathy. I say it with a lot of compassion. Because sometimes I'm not sure if I know the difference between feeling broken and feeling sorry for myself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt really broken? Your heart was just crushed and you were crying and weeping and you're like, am I feeling sorry for myself? God, should I suck it up and just go on? What is it that's going on inside of me? That's when everything is 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 all confused? The, and when you get that way, in verse two, he says, "How long will my enemies be exalted over me?" My Saul's doing great. I'm running around hiding in caves. I'm supposed to be the next king on the throne, and all of that. I'm supposed to already be ruling, and and I rule a little bit down here in Judah. But the other eleven tribes, they they're sucking up to Saul, and and he's trying to kill me, and all of that's going on in his. In his life, everything, the enemies seem so prominent, and God, you seem so far away. All the issues seem so big, and yet God, you seem so small. Four times again, he says, how long, God, is this going to go on? It's easy sometimes to just look at ourselves and begin to implode. And to begin to just feel like, God, I don't know why, but you've cursed me. This doesn't feel fair. I'm tired of putting lipstick on this pig, God. I'm tired of trying to be up for everybody around me. I'm tired of going to church and putting on a face, God, inside. I'm scared inside. I'm hurting inside. I feel forsaken, God. Sometimes... It's hard not to ask God, How long, God, are you going to leave me like this? You know, it's interesting. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, John tells us that the saints who were in heaven asked God, How long? They said, they cried out in verse 10 of Revelation 6, They cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? Holy and true will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. They treated us so badly. They fed us to the animals, God. They burned us alive. Nero would stick a stake through us while we were still alive. Wrap us, God, in in croaker sack like material. Soak us in oil and light us on fire and burn us alive. Just to light his garden. How long, God, will it be before You take vengeance on those who did those things to us. We need to try not to make assumptions, depend on our own counsel, feel sorry for ourselves. Next, fall into despair. I know you're like, well, I think we're already there, Mike. Fall into despair. In verse 3, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of of death. I'm gonna die. I'm not gonna make it, God. I'm not gonna get through this. And and I, I don't know. I, I know some people have, others have not. There's no way you can understand it. But if along with everything that life can bring you, if you struggle with depression, and I meet so many people that have and so many people that do. And one of the things that I saw God do in my life in 1991 after a horrible accident that uh, we all survived well. It was, it was on the lake, boat wreck, terrible. It was just a bad situation, but it wasn't near as bad as I thought it was. But I had spent most of my life struggling with an obsessive compulsive disorder I, I I thought very little about it. I thought I just was well. I got to take care of things, or I got to look after this or that or whatever. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night and go all the way back to the office to make sure that I had signed something or make sure I had returned a call. And people don't like it at three o'clock in the morning when you go, "Hey, I forgot to call you back." But if you're OCD, <laughs> that's just what you're gonna do. I caught myself finally driving back as far as 25 or 30 miles or longer. Just because I remembered meeting a guy on a bicycle in a curve. And I wasn't sure if I hit him with my car or not. had no reason to believe I did. And go all the way back. I knew something was wrong, but I I never got help until that boating accident. And that put me in a place i just never been before, and I finally did get some help. And, and I'll tell you, I was wanting God to just take it all away, and that's not how that worked. But it has been such a blessing. When people come in my office and sit down and they tell me, I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to tell you about some feelings I have, Pastor, and you're going to think I'm crazy, and I'm already sitting in my chair thinking, I bet I won't. I bet I won't. And when I tell them, well, let me tell you how I understand and why I understand what you're going through. Their chin hits the floor. They can't believe it. I'm just telling you, when you are suffering from that and a lot of people and I, I'm not saying that David was but I do see in his Psalms a lot of times I relate to them very well I, I wonder if he didn't suffer with it. Psalm uh, uh, a, a lot of, of, of gifted leaders do I, I didn't even get that part I just got the other but but a lot of gifted people intelligent people with good minds they, they, they can fall into this trap because a doctor described it to me one time He said, It is like your mind can just grasp anything and and it'll grasp it and it'll hold it. And he said, It probably works good for you when you're studying Greek, but he said, When you're trying to get sleep at night, it doesn't work so well, does it? It was horrible. But it's been a blessing to be able to look at people when they say, I just sometimes want to die. I don't see a way out. I can relate. I can relate things will look different to you than they will anybody else. And most people won't understand. But there are some that do. Don't you give up. Don't you give up. And then last of all, we must not worry about what others are saying. David says, My enemies will say I've overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice. When I am shaken, David lived in a time of deuteronomic theology. If you remember what that is, if you've been around here a while, you've heard it, I'm sure. But. Deuteronomic theology was the belief from the book of Deuteronomy that after Moses repeated so many times, if you do what is right, good things will come your way. From that, they deduced that if you're doing something wrong, bad things will come your way. So anytime they saw calamity, they assumed, there must be something going on. Look in John chapter 9. We see it so clearly. The disciples even asked Jesus, who caused this man to be born blind? Was it his sin or was it the sin of his parents that caused that? That's your Deuteronomic theology that has survived all the way in to the New Testament. And, and it even survived into our time. Because I know, uh, I've heard people say before, when something would happen, somebody's house would burn down or they'd wreck their car. Well, I don't know, God must be trying to tell them something. It might just be, get the front end of line. It might not be some deep truth it could be god does get our attention in various ways but i am saying to you 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 can't listen to what Everybody else has to say. Uh, boy, in Job's case, I told you, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they, they kept telling him foolish things, and they kept heaping guilt on, them, on him. And it wasn't because of Job, it was because of their own foolishness. They thought, if you really are righteous, Job, and something this bad can happen to you, then that means it, it could happen to me. We just discovered that we don't have a fence built around us if we serve God. If we love God. If we're missionaries in Alaska like the Schultzes who buried their precious daughter. How the world does that work? Looks like they would get a pass. Look like somebody who told God no would lose their daughter. Not somebody who told God yes. None of that makes sense. I can tell you, you can't. Listen to what everybody thinks about your situation. And sometimes a good, loud, shut up will do it. Don't count on it. Man, it's tough. Some even mean well. What we must not do. There are some things we must do. Secondly, and last of all, some things we must do. One, rely on his mercy. Verse five, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. Oh, there's our word. What is it in the Hebrew? Hesed. Hesed. You know, my spell checker doesn't really understand that word. Loving kindness. Now, I don't mean Hesed. I didn't expect it to get that one. But loving kindness. I thought that word was odd. I realized, you know, I don't think I fully understand it either sometimes. I don't really fully understand it either sometimes because it is untranslatable. It is so much love and mercy, and it is such undeserved love and mercy. You, you might deserve pity but you will never deserve mercy. Mercy's undeserved. You might be in a situation where people cry and and weep and they can't believe what's happened to you, but I can tell you mercy is something that we do not deserve from God. And God didn't just have pity on us. He had mercy on us. And David said, God, I'm going to trust in your mercy. Not your revenge, not your vengeance on Saul, not how you're going to just kill that crazy youngin of mine Absalom not how you going to avenge my enemies I'm not expecting you to drop another ten foot guy like Goliath I'm not trusting in that I'm trusting in your mercy God because right now realizing no I, I have no right to come to you and ask you to straighten out anything God I'm a sinner I'm not worthy of your time and attention God so I'm going to put my trust in your mercy your loving kindness. You know, sometimes God loves us maybe more than we wished he did. And, and, and let me tell you what I, I mean by that. Maybe we wished he didn't love us quite so much sometimes. Because I can tell you, I've learned. I'll just share this as personal testimony. You take it as you will. I've learned that he loves us too much to leave us in our moral squalor. When we start down the wrong road, I can tell you He loves you so much He's not just going to let that happen without convicting your heart. There will be consequences. There will be detriments to making stupid decisions morally in your life. You won't just get away with it. And if you can, then my friend, you are an illegitimate child. You do not belong to Him. He loves His children too much to just let that go on. He loves us too much to let us make excuses and and keep on in our sins continuously. He just loves us too much for that. He'll finally convict your heart. He will finally bring you to the reality that, no, you're not doing this thing because of someone else. It's not somebody else's problem. You're making a conscious decision to do something that robs me of honor and glory. It needs to change in your life. He loves us too much. To let that go on. He loves us too much to allow us to blame others for our failures. He lo- loves us too much to allow us to circumvent responsibility. Boy, I could go on and on. I'm just telling you. He loves us a lot. He loves us a lot. I know most of you have probably had that conversation with your parents at one time or another right before spanking that This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. My dad never said that. I know now as a dad that it was true. He just didn't mention it. He just didn't mention it. I think if he had, I'd have said, well, then why don't we just not do it? (laughs) I'm, I'm with you on that, Dad. That's not how it works. He loves us too much. So, why the pain? It won't answer everything, but there's an axiom of life, a truth that you can always count on in life. Our pain helps us to focus on Him. It'll take your eyes off foolish things like savings accounts, big houses, hopes and dreams and all of those kinds of things that maybe you've poured your time into, things that got way too much of your attention. It will help you to refocus on him. And we become like whatever it is that we worship. Whatever it is we give time and value to, we become like that. So when we worship God and we give Him our attention, we become more like Him. Rely on His mercy. Secondly, rejoice in His salvation. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Man, if I lose it all, I have that, God. If I never become king, I have your salvation. I know, God, that I am your child. And I can tell you, had the test this week turned out a different way, I still would have His salvation. If God had taken my life when I was in that tree stand instead of just part of me, had He taken all of that, I can tell you, I had already sat back in that seat in that old deer stand and said, God, I'm coming home. Because I didn't see any way to, to get out of that alive. I can just tell you, sometimes you just have to say, God, I'm putting my faith and trust in your salvation because I know if nothing on this earth works out when I leave this world, God, I am going to be with you. If I lose it all and I have that, well, I got everything. But if you have everything, And you don't have that. You have nothing. You have nothing. Woody Allen, atheist to the core. I think he still is because he's alive. One day he'll change his mind. Probably about a second after he takes his last breath somebody asked him one time that if there was a God what would you want to hear him say he surprised him he said I'd like to hear him say your sins are forgiven because even though he didn't believe in God he knew he bore the pain and guilt of something inside of him that he didn't understand if he could relieve me of that that's what I would want him to do man And then, last of all, we reveal his joy. Our next to last of all. Next to last of all, we reveal his joy. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. let, Let me just say this about this singing business. I have people tell me all the time, you don't want to hear me sing. I'm probably going to agree with you. If you can't stand it, I doubt I'll be able to. As a matter of fact, I'm going to sound Mark Twain-ish here, but I think it's an incredible wisdom for a person to understand their lack of ability to sing. Because if you meet somebody that doesn't know they can't and thinks they can, then you'll be going back to Psalm 13 and begging God for mercy. But it ain't about ability. We've made it. It's it's in our churches. We did the same thing with prayer. I I grew up hearing people say, oh, so and so can pray the prettiest prayer. What in the world are we talking about? What is a pretty prayer? Oh, I just love to hear them pray. What do you mean? What is a beautiful prayer. One guy in the New Testament, he just hit himself in the chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And after a Pharisee had bloviated on and on and on and on and on and said all kinds of things, it says two men went up to the temple to pray, but God said only one of them prayed. One of them just blabbered on a while. We've done the same thing with singing. And I'm not saying that maybe you need to try to start a career of it, but sing to God. God. You know, it it amazed me when Pastor Mike, Deese, and I were going every year to Jacksonville, and we went every year that they they had it after we started going for the pastor's conference there. They had some of the most beautiful music at First Baptist Jacksonville I ever saw in my life or ever heard in my life. I mean, it was incredible. They had this orchestra that just, oh, my goodness the music is absolutely incredible and they have like 300 in the choir and and then they would come in and then one night we were there in the gettys is that right the gettys were there my goodness that that irish uh, sounding praise and worship was so awesome man they even had a piece of plywood lying out there and I kind of was wondering what that was for, but boy, in the middle of one of the songs, they had two girls playing the violins, and all of a sudden, one of them jumped out there, and she had those taps on her shoes, and she just cut loose for the glory of God. And I said right then, if the Gettys ever come to Cornerstone Fellowship, they bring in the plywood. (laughs) It was awesome. She was dancing before God, buddy. I know, I'm a Baptist. We don't clap and move our feet at the same time could be construed as dancing. But I'm telling you, that was awesome. But I sat in that church with the orchestra building. And then we'd go into how great, how hard. You couldn't stay in your seat. But there were people sitting there like this. And it helped me. Because I thought if I ever believed if the music got good enough, it would make everybody join in and quit looking like they have been hit in the face with a piece of roadkill. It helped me to realize, and you're never going to do it. Some people are going to sit there and go, boy, that guitar's loud. Or whatever it is. I told you about India, all you could hear is the drums. All right, there's enough to not come back. And they sung so loud it'd make your ears hurt. They didn't have a sound system. They sang so loud, I mean, my goodness. And and they stood up the whole time. Boy, who can tolerate all that mess? It's not how church ought to be. Well, don't go to India, because that's what they'll do. matter of fact... Uh, uh, <laughs> Bruce and I showed up at one church. We were two hours late one night and we got there. And these people that were way older than I am now were sitting on a concrete slab because they didn't have but two chairs and they saved both of them for myself and Bruce. And when we show up two hours late, they had sung and praised God for the whole solid two hours. And when we got there, you know what they did to us? They put these uh, flower things on us. I mean, I had stuff hanging all off of me and and all of that. And they slid that chair out there. And then they sung for another hour. And then they still wanted to hear me preach. I know you're thinking, I, I might take one of my pills, Pastor, just to get over that story. Sing. And then last of all, remember his blessing. Reveal his joy. Rejoice in his salvation. Rely on his mercy. Remember his blessing. He says, because he has dealt, verse 6, bountifully with me. The Jewish people would often sing and recite what they call the Hillel. The Hillel in the Old Testament was Psalm one thirteen through Psalm one eighteen, and they would recite those. Sometimes they would recite them responsively. That was actually what they would call the Egyptian Hillel. Hillel is praise. So when they would do the praise, they would recite Psalm one thirteen through. One eighteen, and they might do it responsively, and they would do it on Passover, and they'd do it at different times when they were remembering God setting them free and liberating them from their Egyptian bondage. But they also had what is called the Hallel Hagadal, high' is a, a article the, but it means the great praise, Hallel Hagadal, the great. And that is found in Psalm 136. Psalm 136. And if I hadn't already made you mad, I'm probably going to now because we're going to do the Hillel. And we're going to do it responsibly. Okay? I don't know any other way to end this sermon. I preached this passage, I think, in 2016. We did it then. We survived. I just think it's a great way to praise God. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to ask you all to stand, if you would. And we are, you can tell your family when you see them at lunch today, say, we did... We did the Hallel Haggadah today. I'll say the first line. Yours will be the same every time. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. For his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill. For his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. Is to him who made the great lights. For his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn. And brought Israel out of their midst. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. For his loving kindness is everlasting. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his loving kindness is everlasting. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who smote great kings. And slew mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land to us as a heritage, even to Israel, his servant, who remembered us in our low estate. And has rescued us from our adversaries. Who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.